0: Welcome to Between Product and Partnerships, a podcast focused on bringing together product, partnership, and engineering leaders to discuss how to build, support, and scale SaaS ecosystems. Presented by the SaaS Ecosystem Alliance and sponsored by Pandium an integration platform and marketplace for ecosystems. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in. For those of you that are new to our podcast, welcome. I'm Liz Garcia, and I'm the community manager of the SaaS Ecosystem Alliance, and I'm also on the marketing team at Pandium. The theme of this episode is going to focus on tech partner engagement and enablement, and today I'm speaking with Rachel Colley, who is the director of technology partnerships and the app marketplace at Uninet. So thanks again, Rachel, for taking the time to share. I know this isn't your first time uh, sharing with our audience, but can you give our audience a quick intro on your background and tech partnerships
1: and generally what you've been working on? Sure. Um, So I have been at Uternet, it'll be two years um, in October. Um, So I have been in the, and I've been working with technology partnerships specifically for about the last five um, and in partnerships in general for about the last 15. I've done channel, services, strategic partnerships, um, but I always come back to technology partnerships. They are my favorites. Um, I was on a call earlier today with a potential partner. I said, I kind of sometimes think that my software is boring, um, but what technology partnerships are doing, especially with the integrations they build, that's the really cool stuff. Um, and so I get really excited and geeked out um, when we start talking about technology partnerships. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I'm a mom of a toddler, um, so my life is a bit chaotic right now. Um, And I'm also from Iowa. I just came back from a five day um, holiday to Iowa to see my family. So sometimes you'll hear me come out with some very, very um, Midwest phrases. Um, uh, It's just due to my Iowa background um, and never leaving and never leaving home. Uh, yeah
0: hundred percent, um, and totally agree with you to the point. I know I don't specifically work in tech partnerships, but a huge part of my role is learning about them and writing about them and um that interesting part of just like how the the software can collaborate with one another in those joint case studies um is is really interesting for me also. um, so yeah, you definitely have a lot of experience in building out tech partner programs, and I know you had mentioned to me before that you're currently leading your program into a uh, transformational change. Um, So I did wanna ask you about something that you mentioned in a last panel that you were on with us, where you had said when you joined, initially joined UniNet, um, when you came in, you realized that there were a lot of barriers to entry for tech partners, uh, specifically when it came to uh, building, accessing and deploying integrations. And I wanted to ask you what were some examples of those barriers that you noticed and how they negatively impacted partner engagement?
1: Sure. So Uninet is an interesting beast. and I'll give you a little bit of background to Uninet um, as I jump into the question. So Uninet is a software company that has three distinct product lines. The first one is a GovCon ERP and ERP specifically focused on government contractors. That is something that we built from the ground floor, um, sort out as a, a time entry software and just build it out to a full ERP. And then due to acquisition um, or because of acquisition, um, we brought on two other software platforms, one being another ERP that is focused on project-based um, engineering and architecture. So our customers don't build buildings, they design the buildings. We acquired that company about three years ago. And then we also acquired a company um, two years ago in October um, that is a CRM platform um, for construction, the construction industry. And why that is important is that when you have three distinct product lines, um, that is three distinct um, code bases, three distinct um, API um, maturity models, and three distinct processes. And sometimes processes are very difficult to break and remold and retool. And so what we're finding here at Internet is that as we were building our own integrations, we had very high barriers of entry for new partners who wanted to build to us. And what I mean by that is processes across product lines were not the, not the same. Getting a sandbox for a partner for GovCon or for AE or for CRM was completely different. API maturity, completely different. So what we've really started to do and figure out is how do we streamline that? How do we make it very simple for our teams to create sandboxes? How do we make it very simple for our, our partners to get access to resources? rather than emailing 10 different points of contact, can we be as simple as creating one email distribution list that covers all three product lines? But we're really trying to be- lower the barrier of entry, remove obstacles, um, and make things a much more clean process, which is really what technology partnerships are about, is working through a project, a process and working through um, some workflows.
0: Yeah, and you had mentioned that you transitioned from reporting under sales to product. How did How did that transition support with smoothing out those workflows?
1: Sure. So when I first started at Uninet, I reported um, to our director of partner success, who then reported into our chief revenue officer. And I think for onboarding and being able to understand the lay of the land here at Uninet, um, that made a lot of sense for me to report there. She was able to get me a lot of indirection I I needed, be able to kind of set the stage for success. But we found though, is that when you start looking at technology partners, they are much different than a referral partner, services partner, et cetera, et cetera. They had to very special access points. They need, able, they need able access to sandboxes. They need access to API endpoints. They need access to product people. And they need to understand the roadmap. I also realized that my ability to be a change agent and be a great advocate for our partner, our technology partners, was also lessened because I reported very low into the ranks of the Internet. So I used a lot of the messaging that you'll see in blogs from Crossbeam about how the closer you are aligned to the C-suite, the better off you're going to be. Um, so I dropped a proposal and made a pitch to have me moved over to product, where I report now directly to the chief product officer, which is important because that gives me a seat at the table, and it gives every one of our, par- our technology partners a seat at the table as well. They now have access to the roadmap. rather than our team building functionality, I can now say very quickly before they build, hey, we've got a partner who does exactly that functionality. Why don't we integrate with them versus us taking the time to build and build something else that will be um, important to our client base or customer base. So it's really been a great move for me um, in being able to be an advocate to, to our, an advocate for our partners within the product team. Yeah. And I'm
0: actually interested to to know, um, obviously you don't need to detail your entire proposal, but if if there were specific points that you would say um, that the product organization found really compelling in order to make that shift. A sales leader
1: and a product leader are going to evaluate technology partners very differently. A sales leader is going to look at technology partnerships about how many leads can you bring me? How many referrals can you bring me? And looking at that, um, both internally and externally when I've worked at internet and seen other examples, we made some mistakes. And the mistakes we made is that we brought on a couple of partners because they could bring us leads, but their core functionality was in direct competition to core functionality that we'd either released or we were going to release. And those are probably not the kind of partners that you want um, within your portfolio. So that was a clear indication that we were, had our, our reporting structures a bit misaligned. Product, Product wants to look at things differently. They want to look at things that our, our functionality that they're not going to build themselves. They want to look at fun, they want to look at technology partners that will really delight our customers and expand our product adoption. Or they want to look at technology partners that will um, become a pivotal integration that makes our customers more sticky. All three of those things are important. All three of those are important KPIs to track. All three of those will eventually lead to bottom line revenue, but excuse me, bottom line revenue is not the number one driver. When you report over into product so it's really important that if you're trying to make a pitch to report into a different section of your organization to figure out why you have a technology partner program how you're evaluating your technology partner program and make sure that you are reporting into where the alignment makes sense
0: yeah i think that's really great advice um and you you mentioned that you're building most of these workflows internally And so there wasn't the choice to go with a partner portal and like specifically for tech partners. Could you speak a little bit to uh, what contributed to that decision?
1: Sure. So um, I see a lot of (laughs) posts and blogs, information about partner portals. Um, I think partner portals are a valuable resource when you're looking at referral, channel, Um, integration-type partners, the the typical selling channel within an organization. Partner portals are like taking a square peg and putting it through a round hole when you're talking about technology partnerships. Technology partnerships are all about onboarding and enablement and go-to-market strategies. It's not about referrals and co-branded marketing material, which is typically in the selling channel. So we did a lot of research um, in regards to portals. And what we're finding is that The portals that are out there today would have to have a lot of configuration, a lot of adjusting, a lot of um, customization that would be required to make them work for a technology partner program and to be able to manage the workflows. And when we talk about technology partners, we're talking about workflows about how do you build the integration? How do you enable your sales team about the integration? How do you build a go-to-market? How do you enable support? How do you enable implementation about all these different steps? And that just couldn't be accommodated in the standard portal portals that you see in the market. Um, so we've gone out and we've built our own workflows using various tools, um, monday.com being my favorite. Um, but we've gone through and we've built out some pretty extensive templates and workflows that really work for us. It is something that our product team is very familiar with. Our partners are very familiar with it. They have access to it and can kind of see what's going on. And these workflows and templates have become our basis for any of our standard or sync calls that we can just kind of go through and say, where are we here? Is this finished? Is this stuck? Is this behind? And they become a really great conversation piece um, or agenda topic as you're going through sync calls. They also work really well when you're talking to your product team. And I can say to product, look, these are the five things that are stuck. Three of them that are stuck on our side. Our partners can't move an integration forward until you move them out of my move these things out of the way for me. How do we accomplish this? How do we get this API developed faster for them? Um, so it really becomes a great talking point um, as we work through things. But you know, I think portals are great for the selling channel of the of the partner programs. Technology partners we're very unique and we're very specialized um, and we're very um, process project management based makes total sense.
0: Um, it you you mentioned some examples, like for example, Monday.com is is a tool that you've used. Are there any other processes or technology that has made the collaboration with product uh, while working on this problem that
1: has been helpful in that collaboration? So I think that why Monday.com has worked really well for us. Um, so internally here at Internet, our product team uses Jira and Confluence, pretty standard in their in their industries. Um, Our CRM tool is Salesforce, um, pretty standard of the market, but our product team doesn't have access to Salesforce and I'm not a big JIRA person. So we needed to find a tool that was easy to use. Money.com is super simple. Um, I am not a technologist by training. I'm a partner manager. So I don't know bits and bytes, but I know how to build workflows. So money.com was a really easy place for us to start. It was a familiar tool. Um, And licensing is relatively inexpensive. So if I wanted to bring a partner into it to use it as well, um, the case could be made for doing that. Um, There's plenty of other workflow tools out there that just happened to be where we landed because it's something that we were already using internally at Uninet, And so I had a lot of subject matter experts who could help build build it out for me. You know, we have money.com, but we also have that integrated into Slack. So when I have a partner submit a ticket. notifies me in Slack and I know to go check that ticket. I mean, we use woodenmoney.com not just for the templates of a workflow, but we also use it for submitting tickets. I'm a partner man, or I, I'm a technology partner building an integration and I've got a question about an API. Well rather than that question being lost in email world, you can now go to money.com and submit a ticket and that goes right to our teams and they can start processing. You have a marketing question. Customer needs access to the API that all goes through money.com form, um, and we can start process- processing it on our, on our side a bit more efficiently. That's some really great technical
0: advice. It's interesting. I, f- I feel like I've read a lot and done a few interviews, and I haven't heard anyone mention Monday.com. So it's just interesting hearing how you're using it to collaborate I mean, with product.
1: To be fair, though, when I started, you know, when I was only managing five to 10 partners. I could do a lot of this in Excel and OneNote. Um, And then you start to scale and you realize those pieces of software don't scale with you very easily. Um, With Monday.com, and again, there's other workflow tools out there. This is just what we picked. Um, I can build dashboards. So when I speak to our chief product officer and he asks me, Rachel, how many partners are stuck with this topic? I can tell him right away. Or how many partners do we have with our CRM platform? I can tell them right away. It's all dashboarding that rolls up for my templates and creates easy access to information. So money.com has become the tactical tool we use and it's also become an executive reporting tool as well. That's
0: really interesting. Um, And I like how you separated, how you explained that, you know, this is is something that works for you all as you're scaling um, Mm -hmm. the program. To transition a little bit um, after, you know, to transition a little bit from, um collaborating with product I want to talk a little bit about how you audit your investments in tech technology partnerships and what processes you have for reporting on um goals
1: and joint successes sure um I think that unit is a bit um we are not as advanced as some organizations are in the reporting of KPIs that we have been in the last 18 months so to give some history internet launched our Connect campaign, our, our Connect platform in July of 2020. So we're just two years into it. And at that time, when you're building out this marketplace, I think you have two goals in mind is one, how do you get a lot of logos on your website? One. And then two, how do you make sure that those, lo- those logos or integrations that are being used and not just sitting on a shelf? And so that's really what we focus the last two years on is building out the marketplace, building out our logos, building out our integrations and building out our processes. So while I can tell you how much revenue we have made off of those integrations, um, it's not a KPI where we are evaluated today. Do I think that's gonna change at some point in time? Yes. Um, But really what we're looking at though is not just how much revenue has come from those integrations. One is how many integrations do we have per customer? Is it one, two or three? how many customers are actually actively using the integration. So I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we are evaluating based on dollars. We're really going to be focusing on usage because when we start seeing high usage, that may tell us we need to have other partners in the same vertical. Um, or if we don't have a lot of usage, either one, we haven't done a great marketing strategy or B, we hitched our wagon to the wrong horse. And this is not an integration where our customers find value. So we're less worried about, less revenue is great. But we're really focused on the usage and how many integrations our customers are using we want to get to the point where every one of our customers especially in our erp platforms we want to get to the point where every single customer has one integration and when we get to that point then we can start working on okay how many do we want to get to two do we want to have 75 percent using two um and i don't know if anybody has like the real statistics but i think anecdotally we all know the more integrations your customers are using the less likely they are to lift and shift and go somewhere else. The retention becomes really, really high. The more integrations you have in place. I don't know if anybody's figured out what that magical number is. We just know that we need to get to one, then we get to two and then we'll get to three. No, that's
0: that's a good point. And we actually had a, a panel where uh, we had Larry McDonoghue from Procore. He spoke on that and he mentioned the point that you made, we we don't really know for each organization where that stops, but for every organization is different. And it's just about finding that sweet spot based on like where your company is, or even the, the vertical that your company lies, it might be different for each of those. So,
1: so we partner with Procore. Um, (laughs) so I know them very well. Um, and I know that messaging and they presented about, you know, you're X times more likely to stay if you have two integrations, five times, whatever the number is, they presented that last year, I believe at their partner summit, their virtual partner summit. And those are really numbers and information that we pegged on here at Uninet, because we were trying to figure out how do we evaluate our technology partner program? Is it based just on the revenue? And then we realized, because this was the first time we heard it presented that way, revenue is great, but the cost of acquiring a new customer is so high, we want to make them as sticky as we can. So we really pegged on what the Procore team is putting out there about multiple integrations being in place, not just one, but having multiple integrations for one customer. Your point
0: also makes sense for why, for your where you report under product. Um, but I, I also want to ask you, how does that help with the collaboration with with you in product when it comes to? identifying integrations that would fill gaps or expand expand product usage, et cetera. Sure. Have you ever had like instances where there's a conversation of whether, and there should be an integration versus things being built? How, do, how does that come, how do those
1: conversations usually go? Sure. So when we're building integration, um, it's happened between one of, there's one of two reasons why we are building integration. Either one, um, we know that that integration is going to be high value, no matter if we have a customer asking for it or not. And a good example of that is payroll. When we start looking at ERPs, and that's, those are our main product lines or two ERPs, having an integration to a payroll platform like ADP, Payloss, UKG, those are table stakes. If, you do not have an, if you're an ERP and you do not have integrations to payroll, you are losing a ton of business. And so we know that payroll is very important to our customers. So right now, we have integrations of 14 different payroll platforms. When it comes to other things that we integrate to, things that we have built, we either have had customers, we have internal we have internal and external portals where our customers and internal resources can submit suggestions for integrations. We should be integrating with a tax platform. Um, we should be integrating with a, a bill pay type platform. And when we start to see a groundswell of requests for the same thing, then our product team will take the initiative to really start investigating that. That process is very different versus when potential partners reach out to us. When potential partners reach out to us, the evaluation is a bit different. When they reach out to us, we're looking at things like cross beam or account mapping. Is there some natural overlaps in there where our customers would want this or are already using both of our products? We wanna work with partners that are already bringing to the table Two or three customers that they know are already asking for this integration Um, and then we have heavy involvement with our product management team Um, and the reason we do that is twofold one is we want to have really deep conversations with a potential partner to make sure that what they are doing is not um, does not compete with functionality we already have or what's coming down the pike um coming down the pipe and that is something only our product managers know for one and then two We want our product managers involved because they know our product better than anybody. And we want to make sure that they are providing good counsel to our product, or sorry, giving good counsel to our technology partners so that they are building an integration that we know will cover everybody. What gets really frustrating for technology partners is that they build things in a silo and they build something they think customers will like. And then they realize that every customer likes this plus about five other things. And they're constantly customizing it. So we have definitely made some mistakes where partners were building in silos and released it and nobody wanted it. And we've realized that we need to have our product managers working in conjunction with our tech partners um, so that we build high class wanted usable integrations that, were then, that they are then putting out to market. We really believe in having a true partnership. I have seen too many partnerships fail, technology partnerships fail, where one side is doing the build, the go to market, this fails everything. I think there's a term that someone put out on LinkedIn about being an orphaned tech partner. And when you're doing things on your own, you definitely feel like you're orphaned. So for partners that are really our size in base, we try to do this as a true partnership where we're doing it all together.
0: Is there anything in particular that you, you've implemented uh, either along with your partnerships teams or with your, with your partners to address that silo,
1: the silos that you've experienced? So I think that we haven't implemented anything specific. I think that what has happened is that we have a chief product officer in Assad, um, who I report into, who really believes in the value of technology partnerships, that really understands that for his product managers to become incredible product leaders, they also need to see the value of technology partnerships and see the value of using technology partnerships as a throughput to get more functionality and remove some burden from their teams. So for us, it's not about process, it's about executive buy-in. Um, if we didn't have that executive buy-in from Assad, I don't think that we would be as successful as we are today in removing it, barriers and making processes more simplified um, as we as we have moved forward. I think you've already
0: given some examples, but are there any other examples you could give for how you collaborate with product to ensure that you're you're not giving customers a poorly built integration experience, um, but a great one. Can't
1: hit on this enough. It's, um, it's demo, demo, demo. Um, so when we are getting ready to put a lot of focus on a technology partner, we really want them, we, we really encourage them, I can't make them, but we really encourage them to have at least bi-weekly, sometimes weekly sync calls with our product team so that they can be with them every step of the way and tell our partners right away, hey, you're going down the wrong path with, the path with this. This is not an efficient integration you're building. Let us show you how you can build it more efficiently. What we see too many times is that partners start, start building and then we don't talk to each other until it's done. And when it's done, it's too late to change it. So we really wanna have those conversations throughout the integration process so we can help you pivot if need be, um, or or understand very quickly what you're missing in our functionality that we need to get into our roadmap right away so that you're not successful. Um, I, I I didn't realize the level of detail and the amount of work it takes to get, so we use Workado for some of our integrations as our IPass. And I didn't realize the level of effort it takes to get a piece of functionality into your Workado or whatever IPass, into your connector. It requires the functionality being added to your product and the API being built and then the functionality being added to your connector. For Uninet, those are three different teams, three different sprints or more. And so we need to know right away that we are missing something on our side because we know it'll take some time to get it to you. So that's why it's important for us that we are with you every step of the way and not saying, here's all your resources, we'll see you when you're done. That's why those sync calls become really important to us.
0: Yeah. and. Um... That So that's one of the ways that you're, you're engaging with your partners. Are the partners also on the monday.com platform as well?
1: <laughs> so we're starting to bring some onto that. Right now, we have partners that have um, read access to it, and we have some partners that will be having um, edit access to it. Um, but yes, to answer your question, yes, our partners are getting access to um, our workflows and getting access to monday.com. Okay, yeah.
0: I just wanted to know if that was also a part of the yep. your partner um, engagement. Um, this, all, this went so fast. I think we covered, we covered, so no, we covered so much. And I feel like you gave, um, so much actionable advice and tactical advice. Is, is there any last advice that you would give our audience who is tackling this
1: problem? Yeah, I think that, um, one of the challenges that every technology partner manager has, um, I think there's, there's, we are afraid to say the word no. Um, and sometimes when we have a te- potential technology partner come across our desk um, and we're evaluating it, I think that when our gut tells us no, we shouldn't proceed. We are a bit nervous to say no um, because, well, there's a what if. And I think that as technology partner managers, no matter where stage you are in your career, I think it's really important that you feel empowered to say no. Um, Be able to document why you've said no, but feel empowered to say no, because I've seen some really bad partnerships out there because a technology partner manager was afraid to say no because of the what if. If there's a what if out there, they will come back. We've had a couple of tech partners that we've said no to because it was not the right time. And they've come back to us six, nine months later, and it was the right time. Um, So I just think the word no, um, carefully crafted is a really important thing um, and a very empowering thing to be able to do is to say no.
0: Well, thank you so much. This was this was great, Rachel. Um, is there anywhere that our audience can connect with you with on LinkedIn,
1: anywhere yeah. else? So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Rachel Collie. I'm an easy one to find. There's not many of me out there. Um, and you can also email me at rachel.collie, C-O-L-L-I-E, just like the dog, um, at uninet.com. And if you ever wanna see pictures of my cute toddler, I am also on Twitter as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in.
0: If you enjoyed the content, subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up. If you're someone who is working on building and scaling SaaS product partnerships, we invite you to apply to be a member of our community at SaaSecosystemalliance.com.